But that one, when you talk about like the right mindset, thought process, like what it takes to really put yourself in a position to get to the millions, you know, before the millions, it has to be the mindset. In a time plagued by groupthink, a tribe known as the Millionites have emerged from the depths of time to alter our trajectory for the betterment of humanity. These are their chronicles. Welcome to our community, where every single week we'll study the craft of some of the most successful entrepreneurial leaders in their given area of expertise. We'll take a trip down memory lane, long before the millions, to uncover their secrets to success and how they've achieved their goals. By doing this, we can fast track our way to success and live the life we've always dreamt of. So, whether you are looking to attain financial freedom, location independence, or reaching the millionth mark of your milestones and more, then you've come to the right place. Stick around to find out what works, what doesn't, and how you can reach your millions. If you would like instant access to our back catalog, visit us at beforethemillions.com. And now, your host, DeRay Olaleye. Hello, world. I'm your humble host, DeRay Olaleye, and we are back for episode seven. It's an amazing episode. It's a long episode, but it's amazing. I think you guys will really, really love it. And our guest today, Ernest Epps, who is an online entrepreneur, is really killing it in the game right now. Hey, that reminds me, I'm actually looking for an admin assistant. So if you guys know anybody out there that's looking for some part-time work, direct them to me. I need an admin assistant that's willing to work about 10 to 15 hours a week. So have them email me at info at beforethemillions.com. Things are getting crazy, guys, and I need some help. <laughs> Ernest has a great story. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. It's going to be amazing. Take a lot of notes. I'm sure you'll have lots of questions, especially if you're not in the online space. If you're in the online space, you're going to love it. So whether you're, this show is for everybody. So I can't wait to get into it. But so if you guys haven't already, I released a book last week, Get Paid to Live for Free is the title of the book. And it really highlights a unique way to begin your investing journey or to continue your investing journey. And I've gotten great feedback from it so far. So I want to share with as many people as I can. So if you're interested, visit beforethemillions.com slash book, follow the steps, get your copy. It's free and you won't regret it. So with that being said, I think it's time to get into the show. Holla. We recommend only the best books on this show. With that being said, we can understand the urge to read the last book you've heard an entrepreneur get excited about. Well, guess what? You can go read it right now. We've partnered with Audible, an Amazon company that produces high-quality audiobooks. Together, we are offering, and for free, a 30-day trial and one free book as soon as you sign up. So, if you've been eyeing a certain book but haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, we'd love to cover the cost for you. Just visit audibletrial.com slash before the millions to start reading or listening to your next free book. The link is also in the show notes of this episode at beforethemillions.com. Hey, Ernest. How's it going? Man, it's going phenomenal, my friend. It's another day of greatness. That's great. That's great. Good to hear that. 
it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Ernest is the CEO of your Salesforce. With almost 10 years of marketing and sales experience, Ernest has been able to take both offline and online marketing strategies to combine them into a marketing powerhouse. Ernest, are you at a million dollars in sales yet? I'm getting there, man. I'm You're on pace there? to knock that out the park this year. Is that this year, 2017, we're on pace to do that? Yes, okay, sir. Ernest, we're going to dive into your journey. We're going to talk about how you plan on achieving this goal. But first, we're going to talk about the goals that you've already achieved. We're going to take it back. We're going to go inside the time machine and maybe start with 18, 19-year-old Ernest and his outlook on life and what he was doing at that time and kind of walk us through your progression and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so man, 18, 19-year-old Ernest, man, that guy wouldn't even know who this guy is today. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't even be able to recognize each other because 18, 19-year-old Ernest was a, was a knucklehead, like very just... Wanted to do his own thing, just you know, pretty rebellious. You know, I was going to going to school and you know doing the whole college thing because my mom she was pretty adamant about that when I was growing up, and that was the way to achieve success, short and long term, was go to school, graduate from high school, then go to college for four years, get the degree, and work for the next fifty, and pray that you have enough to retire when it's all said and done. So pretty much that was the the path I was putting myself on to start the head down. And, you know, I was just kind of really just going through life. Just, you know, I think every 18, 19 year old, when they kind of get out of, get out of the house that has pretty strict rules. But, you know, actually now I'm very thankful that my mom had the strict rules, like the non, the non-partying, no drinking, you know, no hanging out in the streets really late. You know, I was, that was the path that I was headed down. And, you know, that's where I, I kind of was in life, 18, 19 years old. I was actually attending Liberty University. So when I say like the whole partying thing, that's actually against school rules. <laughs> <laughs> so like that's, that's that's what I mean. I was pretty rambunctious. Yeah, I was just really just going through life and just going down the traditional path of just having fun, you know, working traditionally and just trying to figure out what, what life was about based off of, you know, the roadmap that my mom was having me head down. Okay, and what roadmap was that? What did what did you decide to do once you got to college, and how did your career progress once you graduated from college? So when I was when I went to college, I actually already knew what I wanted to do when I went to college. My mom, she was pretty again very adamant about school, and so she had us thinking about what we were going to be majoring in, which is a really really smart thing. Because even though I was again just going down the traditional path, I see a lot of people. Especially like when my sister, she graduated from college with her dual bachelor's degree when she was attending Randolph-Macon. Like when she was graduating, her friends were graduating. Some of the people that was behind her getting ready to graduate, they didn't even know what they wanted to major in, which is absolutely ridiculous because like you pay all that money. She's going to private school and people are going to school. They have no idea what they want to do. That's just absolutely insane. Or you're going to school for something that... You know, you're learning and it's something that you know you don't want to do. And then you end up doing something else anyways. Like if you're at least going to school, do something that you want to do so you can, you know, add some value to the marketplace by the time you decide to leave. But I was majoring in computer science. That's what I was going to school for. I just kind of had a thing where I just, you know, growing up, I just kind of like technology a little bit, playing a lot of video games and stuff. So I was like, hey, computer science, this is this is cool. I can learn how to build video games and play myself. <laughs> so that's what I was majoring in. but. Long story short, I wound up, when I moved back home, I started going to a community college, and I wound up getting to a point where 
you know, it was with the bills coming in and my mom needed help because my dad wound up leaving us like my sophomore, junior year while I was in high school. Things were getting really tight. So it was just like, hey, it's either really intently focused on school to graduate really quicker or I need to focus on bringing in some form of income. And obviously every single month, the, the guy that needs the light bill money, he doesn't care if you need to go to school or not. He needs his money and he needs it now. So I had a decision to make. And long story short, I wound up choosing the path of just going into the workforce and deciding to work instead of finishing up with school because I just felt at that time that it was more important to help out my mom and relieve a little bit of stress from her opposed to, you know, kind of filling the needs for myself personally. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's an, an amazing sacrifice, by the way. What industry did you decide to go into? So at the time when I moved back down to Fredericksburg after going to school out in Lynchburg, I wound up finding a job. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It was a it was a door to door sales job. Well, essentially, like it started off where, you know, you were hiring canvassers to knock on doors and pass off flyers. But long story short, you know, with just my aptitude a little bit, I started to find out really quick that if people started to buy stuff when you gave them a flyer, you got this thing called a commission. And I was like, Ish. <laughs> they never told me that word. They never told me that in college. Like, what's a commission? And so I was like, so you get paid a percentage of the business if it leads to, you know, generate revenue for the company. I was like, man, that's cool. I like that. And so long story short, I, I found out how to get really good really quick. And, you know, that kind of led me into the sales and, and marketing arena. Ultimately, I moved up pretty quickly with that company and I became a marketing director. And then I was able and fortunate enough because I did so well that my name kind of got a little recognition amongst other companies in the Northern Virginia area. And I wound up getting several offers from other companies. So I just kind of went from being a marketing director with one company to another one. And pretty much, you know, at that time, being a little bit younger, no one ever really taught me the whole aspect of like, you know, loyalty. <laughs> so <laughs> pretty much the company offered me more money. I was just like, oh, you want to pay me 10 grand more? You want to pay me 20 grand more? Absolutely. I'll go work for you. So you climbed up the rankings pretty fast and then you kind of company hopped to kind of, I guess, grow your wealth a little bit faster than normal. Is that correct? Yeah, pretty much. Like it was just one company offered me, you know, money and this one offered me more money. And I was like, yeah, you know, every time I kind of moved or got another offer, it was, you know, between 10 to 20 grand. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that. (laughs) Okay. What was your lifestyle like and what made you start pursuing this online business journey? Coupled with your, I guess, your marketing, of course. Yeah. So what wound up happening was I picked up a book by Robert Kiyosaki, his third one called The Guide to Investing. And when I read that, I actually got extremely frustrated. Actually, uh, you know, like, you know, hopefully people listening to this are okay, but it actually made me pissed off. Like I got really angry. I was like, nobody told me that this is the real way how you make money. So, you know, he kind of covers in the book what they call like the cash flow quadrant and how you have employees, small business owners, business owners and investors. And long story short, the business owners and investors are the one that make all the money and they get all the tax breaks. Yep. So I'm like, oh, so these people, they make more money and can potentially pay less in taxes versus me who's out here hustling and bustling is, you know, making You know, I'm making decent money, but I'm paying more in taxes. Like, it doesn't make any sense. You could potentially do less work in another category and still make the same amount, if not, you know, in most cases, a lot more when you're doing it right. So I got very frustrated after reading that book. And I was just like, holy smokes, like I've been lied to my entire life, going to school, getting a job, 
and working for somebody else for the next 50 years, praying I have enough to retire, is not going to cut. Yep, yep. I can understand that. I can I can definitely understand that. So you started looking into some online businesses. Why online? Why didn't? Why not brick and mortar? Or why? Why not start something from scratch? You know, kind of where you are locally. Why? Why did you look in, in the online space? Yeah. So you know, I tell people I'm not the brightest, you know, or sharpest tool in the shed, but I could see how the trend was going with the online arena with, you know, companies like eBay, you know, becoming, you know, highly successful companies, companies like Amazon coming into the marketplace, becoming multi-billion dollar companies. You know, I was looking at that. And then also the fact of like the overhead, you know, when you, when you start a business online, you have like low to no overhead. And I was just, that was something that kind of attracted me. And one of the things in Robert Kiyosaki's book that he talked about was the network marketing industry. And so essentially, that's one of the first things I got started. And I found a network marketing company and pretty much only did it because he said to in the book, he's like, if I had to start all over again, I do network marketing. You saw like, Cutco Knives? Uh, yeah, I saw Cutco Knives <laughs> a little bit too. How did I know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, I know that's one of the better experiences when it comes to sales. And that's something that Robert and a lot of these guys preach is, is going to network marketing and, and do a lot of those things. And and yeah, I think that that kind of gives you that that kind of puts you in front of people all day, every day and gives you the courage to do a lot of the things that normal people wouldn't be able to do. So maybe going into that a little bit more and, and how that network, how network marketing benefited you in the long run. Yeah. So even with my background already being in like sales and marketing and specifically, I was I did a lot in the direct sales industry with a lot of the marketing programs that we ran. So we would take on projects for eventually I wound up working with a marketing firm where I I led a team of a couple hundred people for a project with Walmart and a telecommunications company from South Carolina up to Massachusetts, where I helped to build a sales force with Walmart for some of the direct sales reps in store. But long story short, prior to me actually having that position, it really helped me a lot with network marketing, having to deal with people face to face on a daily basis, like you mentioned. And honestly, I think the biggest and best experience was the environment that network marketing creates. Like as long as you find a legitimate network marketing company that you decide to check out or potentially maybe even be a part of, you know, network marketing definitely has its place. Personally, for me, the only reason I decided to leave network marketing was I felt that I could get a better return on investment for my time, which I do now, which is really awesome. (laughs) So that's that's one of the main reasons is but it definitely has its place. And you can learn a lot when it comes to people skills, how to actually network. And honestly, that's the biggest thing that you'll really get is how to really network with people like forget the even, the even the marketing part like the networking part and being able to get around people that in most cases with different companies that you check out and become a part of there's somebody in the room that's probably crushing it and doing very well so being able to get around somebody that's successful making you know a six-figure multiple six-figure even seven-figure income from whatever it is that you're looking at pursuing is really great and finding out what they're doing to be able to create the success and those same success principles that they apply in that field you can use in any other field. And that's one of the things I started to really start to realize, too, is, you know, success principles don't change. It's like the same thing Michael Jordan had to do to be Michael Jordan to have the six championships is the same thing that Bill Gates had to do to build a multi-billion dollar Microsoft. You know, it's the same principles. It's just a different arena. And so I was just like, wow, OK, when that, some of that stuff started clicking and everything, I was just like, you know, what else could I do outside of this just to create you know, a, a greater opportunity to make more revenue a lot quicker than what I was currently making. 
Yeah. So what was your goal? What were you, were you trying to quit your job? Were you just trying to make a couple extra hundred on the side? Like what, what was your goal at the time and, and how'd you go about achieving your goal? So with network marketing, I was still like around the 19, 20 year old stage of myself. <laughs> so I was just, that's when I just discovered like entrepreneurship. And then I ran across, you know, obviously the network marketing piece. And so Really, like my goal was just to make, you know, make some side income, like and potentially be able to make a strong six figure income outside of my full time job was one of my actual goals that I wanted to do. And even though that didn't quite happen with that vehicle in particular, you know, I still put in the work, I still put in the time. And that's why I was able to reap the benefits of the success that I'm actually acquiring now is because I was willing to make those sacrifices then. And now it's paying benefits for other things that I'm doing later down the road. And I think that's part of one of the things a lot of people, I think, tend to do is like they don't fully invest into the system or into the program or whatever it is that they're pursuing. So they might say, oh, this sucks. It doesn't work. But the thing is, is that it does work if you work it. And, yeah, I did have little glimpses of success, nothing to you know boast or brag about or anything like that, nowhere near. But at the same time, the principles that I acquired and the thought process that I acquired by going through the process has helped mold and, be, and helped me become a better person to this day because of those experiences. So, you know, you fast forward six years later when I actually find find out about, you know, e-commerce and drop shipping and, and that in particular vehicle online, I took a lot of those principles that I learned in network marketing in creating success in my corporate job because when I was when I found out about dropshipping I was still working a full-time job and I didn't I, I wasn't getting I, I didn't get started to really create a lot of success straight out the gates I kind of told myself like hey like let's just make a little bit of money first and just kind of see where it goes and then you know next you know next thing I know like 18 months down the road you know there's multiple six figures of revenue coming through and I'm like holy crap this is cool <laughs> so okay you're a marketing director and you have this full-time job, and, I, and I'm assuming that this full-time job has you traveling to all parts of the U.S. at any given time. So your time is not really your time. So how are you able to, to I guess, start this dropshipping journey? And, and let's talk about what dropshipping is and, and, and why you decided to start dropshipping. Yeah, so pretty much the short answer for dropshipping is what you do is you pretty much cut out the middleman. So somebody like a distributor or somebody that you can actually get inventory from and you go straight directly to like the manufacturer or the supplier that's in the country that is actually making products that you want to sell online. So it's the same thing if anybody's familiar with like Walmart. It's the same thing that Sam Walton did. Sam Walton, the reason why Walmart is able to offer the low prices that they are is, you know, you rewind back. You know, I can't remember when Walmart got started, but 1971, 1961, whatever time frame that was, his thought process was, well, hey, why don't we cut out the distributor? Why don't we cut out the wholesaler? Why don't we go directly to the manufacturer and bring those products to the consumer? And what we'll do is we'll offer a price to the consumer that's less than what everybody else is doing, but enough to where we can still make a profit and boom, multi-billion dollar company. Yep, so yep. in a nutshell, that's what dropshipping is, but it's online. And the fact that people are now spending, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on their cell phones, you know, 50 percent of my revenue some months come from people just purchasing from their cell phones, like thousands of dollars. It's just like, wow, that that little mobile device that people have in their hands can lead to, you know, multiple six figures for yourself if you position yourself the right way in the marketplace with the right products and you get those products to people you know, depending on the advertising channel that you use can create a lot of success for yourself. 
Yep, definitely. And, and to kind of touch on that, so you're you're saying that you found a business model in that you have no middleman and you have no inventory. I don't know if you mentioned that, but you you don't touch the inventory whatsoever. You don't see the inventory. You don't you don't ship the inventory physically. You literally put an order in and the inventory is shipped directly from the manufacturer to the customer because of your agreement with the manufacturer. Is that correct? Exactly. That's, that's everything that's like the, the other backbone behind dropshipping, which makes it just so spectacular. And the thing that got me really excited, too, is, you know, when I started really digging into dropshipping, I found that, you know, I could actually make money while I was sleeping. And I was like, wow, if I can continue to make money while I'm sleeping, I don't have to work until I die like 90% of everybody else in America. And so that's that's what got me really, really excited. Like, And that's the thing, honestly, truly, that got me really infatuated with learning how to be successful online was the simple fact of not trading my time for money. So you got multiple different vehicles that you can invest your money into, invest your time into. You know, we already talked about network marketing. We, you know, I know you're very experienced in like real estate and traditional investing vehicles. And in most of those cases with the other bigger investments, you know, you have to have hundreds of thousands of dollars to really create a big return. Yep. You know, I now have a business that's on pace to do seven figures this year where I invested twelve dollars and fifty cents. Yeah, I think that's amazing. <laughs> I think that's, that's amazing. that was my initial investment, twelve dollars and fifty cents to actually get a business license for the state that I'm registered in. And even with the advertising perspective, so when you get started, I use a platform called Shopify. When you get started on Shopify, they give you a hundred dollar AdWords credit. Yep. And so if you use that you know, in a smart manner, you can actually get your first couple sales without having to spend any money out of your own pocket. And so I took that advertising credit and that was my first month with the advertising. I did about $3,400 in sales. And then technically speaking, as crazy as this might sound, and I'm not hyping this up at all. I've never tr actually had to pay money out of my own pocket for my actual business. That's, that's wow. going to do seven figures. Wow. You know, I've never had to pay for advertising. Wow. <laughs> wow. You came out the gates winning how did that happen? So most people, and I have an e-commerce store myself, and I sell products between $800 and, and $1,600, and that's the average price point of, of a sale as well. But So I, I kind of know what you're talking about, but just for our listeners who don't, you know, how were you able to do all this so fast and also have a full-time job? What system did you use more specifically to make sure that you were on pace to meet your goals? Yeah, for me, I think this is where a little bit of like my background and just intuitiveness kind of kicked in. And I think everybody, when they look at like building success online, whether you're a warehouse worker or whether you're an attorney or whether you're like somebody's working at McDonald's or a pizza delivery driver, like everybody has a little bit of skill set that they have offline that they can bring online. And so for me personally, the one thing I thought was, well, what can I do to separate myself in the marketplace? Okay, we got all these other people selling stuff online. I know how to get people to get to my website, but how do I get people to purchase and want to actually buy from me? And the thing that I did was I found different ways to add value to my customers that my competition wasn't doing. And so by me adding more value to my customers, so whether it was like upgraded shipping, expedited shipping, you know, free shipping, giving a gift incentive for my customers that decided to purchase from me. Those were some of the things that I did to separate myself from the competitors because you got Walmart selling the products, Wayfair, Target, 
Amazon. So those are, you know, those are multi-billion dollar companies. And so what can I do to encourage people to buy from me instead of them? And the cool thing about when you have an online store that you own and you're not selling on a marketplace like Amazon or eBay or something of that nature, and you sell in your own store that you build is you have full control. And with having that control, you can get creative with what it is that you do for your customers. And so I was like, well, the easiest thing that I could do is just increase the value. So if I add more value to my customers and I'm giving them additional services or I'm giving them incentives to purchase from me, especially if I'm giving them a gift that I know 100 percent they're going to purchase now or either sometime later down the road if they don't already own it. And I'm giving that to them for free by buying from me. That immediately creates like a phenomenal experience for those customers. It's just like, wow, like you're you're just giving that to me for free, like no extra catches, no anything. Like, yep, that's that's what you get from shopping from us. And so by doing that, I very quickly established, you know, a term that's called a USP, unique selling proposition for myself in the marketplace that clearly separated me from everybody else. Okay. Can you kind of go into that a little bit? What's what's a USP and how did you hear about it? What made you decide to do that? Yeah, so USP, that's something I learned about being in, like, again, my background, being in sales and marketing. So a unique selling proposition is something that you offer to your consumers that's unique to your business model and hopefully unique to your audience that's different from everybody else. So if you want a great example is, is if you look at Amazon and you think about Amazon, the first thing that you'll think of or when you visit their site is Prime. And how do they condition you to think about that? Well, if you look in the top left-hand corner, it says Amazon. Right underneath the logo, it says Prime. When you go to look at the shipping time, estimated shipping time underneath the price of the product on their website, it says, you know, the estimated shipping time. And then it says what it's going to be if you order with Prime. Then when you go to checkout, it says, hey, do you want two-day shipping? Get a free Prime account. And so they immediately condition you to say, hey, you can get this extra service for free just by paying a small fee. Another thing is when you think of Walmart, what's the first thing that you think of when we talk about Walmart? The first thing you think of is low prices. Now, you don't think of customer service because that's just terrible. (laughs) (laughs) But you do think of low prices. (laughs) That makes sense. Or or if you think about Target. So here's the thing, too, when you got to look at retail. So, you know, you look at Walmart, then you look at Target. Now, most people that have shopped at both places know that Target charges a little bit more for their products. But with that, the reason how they can charge more for most of their products is because they give a better service when you enter in their store. The store is clean. The bathrooms are clean. People actually smile at you. People have their pants around their waist. Like, you know, <laughs> they treat you like, <laughs> you know, like just the opposite of what you get at Walmart. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't um, know that. Is that a regional regional thing or is that nationwide? <laughs> now, I want to say it's nationwide because, you know, it's just you get a more premium type of shopper. That goes to Target versus like your shoppers that go at Walmart. Like as soon as it hits like you know eight nine o'clock at Walmart, like you probably shouldn't go because it's all type of people. (laughs) Okay, Okay. (laughs) Target has a good quality customer that comes in at all times. (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, Ernest, let's let's switch gears a little bit because I know that there are a lot of listeners out there, and I know a lot of people who have online businesses, who have online stores, and. You know, we're, we're talking about marketing because, you know, that that's your expertise. And these people have online stores and they market to their friends. They market to the people that they can reach socially. They market to people they can find on Instagram or 
Facebook or some of these other social networks. But what I see is I've, a lot of these people fail to, to have any paid advertising. And regardless of the product, whether you know, you're selling electronics or you're selling home goods, you know, I think there should be some aspect of, of paid advertising. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely, man. If you're not using paid advertising, you're losing. Like, I'm going to crush you. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just it's just what it is. Why do you say that? And what are some of the powerhouses in, in paid advertising? So kind of talk about the different paid advertising, I guess, avenues. And based on what you're selling, which avenue you should take as an online e-commerce owner. Yeah. So, man, it's, it's, it's so many benefits behind paid advertising. Like the return on investment is so much faster than you going out, trying to build an audience and using all these hashtags and, you know, praying that somebody's going to discover your website. Like, number one, to build an audience, to build like a good audience, number one, and to build an audience that's going to take action, number two, takes time. Like you really have to build up like an Instagram account to like 100,000 plus followers before you can even you know, think about creating like a decent return on investment for whatever product or service that you decide to promote to your community. Because at the end of the day, it's all the numbers game. So if you decide to like a good conversion rate, like a good standard industry conversion rate is 1% online. So if you can get 100 people to come to your website and one person to purchase, then, you know, that's that's a pretty decent conversion rate. So the fact that, you know, you're trying to promote to family and friends and now they might necessarily buy short term from you. But guess what? That's not going to create you a six, seven figure business. You know, mom's not going to keep buying every single month, especially if you're if you're selling like higher end products. Like, let's say you're selling dining room furniture like mom already bought one seven seat of tape. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she, she's not going to buy another one for fifteen hundred bucks. <laughs> Leave mom alone. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, definitely. You know, because that, I see a lot of these people and it's like it's all a matter of education. Like you can only promote to your audience for so long. Before you have to build a new base, you have to constantly be growing. You like, like you said, it's a numbers game. And if you're not thinking of it that way, if you're not thinking that every 100 people that visit my website or come to my store, I'm going to get one sale, I'm going to get two sales. If you don't know it down to that science, you're not running a business. You have a hobby. Yep, that's 100 percent true. Like even a lot of people that I know personally within the uh, e-commerce arena and dropshipping specifically. They they don't even pay attention to their numbers. And that's one of the reasons why their business isn't creating success. Like you all the numbers don't lie at the end of the day, even on the front end, when you're deciding to pick a product or let's say even you're deciding to pick a service that you want to sell online. You have to do the market research for it either way to find out, is it something that the marketplace wants? And so part of doing that is looking at the numbers. Because at the end of the day, the math does not lie. Like if you go to Google Trends and you type in something, for example, like a fireplace, and it shows you a graph where it looks like uh, like a freaking roller coaster, that clearly indicates that the product is seasonal and that there's only a spike between October and January. So guess what? If you decide to sell fireplaces, don't be mad if you're trying to get a sale in the middle of January. I mean, in the middle of July, because they're not in, they're not in season. So your expectation shouldn't be that you should be selling in the middle of July because nobody's looking for a fireplace when it's 102 degrees outside. All right. So it's same on the back end is like those numbers, like you really got to follow your numbers. And the first thing I always ask people is like, OK, well, well how many visits are you getting today? What's your conversion? Do you number? even have Google Analytics tracking <laughs> in your. Yeah. That, yeah. Before we get to that, it's like, do you got <laughs> analytics connected? <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
definitely. I, th- yeah. I think it's something that people definitely need to get educated on. And that's one of the reasons why you're on the show. And it's because we have to get the word out there. Like, what should a, a new person who's never participated online, who has no experience, who doesn't know how to build a website, who doesn't know anything about marketing, anything about selling, wants to get started because they want to create a second stream of income? Where would you suggest that they start? Man, if we had a, a good 28 hours, we could probably do a really good podcast about this. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, no, but the short version is the best place to get started if you're looking to sell products online is using Shopify. If you haven't heard of Shopify, look them up. They're one of the most simplest, secure, seamless automated programs that you can use that's extremely trusted. And one of the things I love about Shopify over something that a lot of other people are familiar with, it's a program called WooCommerce. It's a plugin for WordPress. Is that Shopify literally, their sole focus is to be the number one e-commerce platform for store owners in the world. That's their focus. That is not in WooCommerce's mission statement. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is, is Shopify backs it up. So you can publicly go to Shopify's website and look in their investor portfolio and you can see where like all their money is being spent and you will see millions and millions and millions of dollars going towards research, engineers, operations, like all that stuff to be the number one e-commerce platform. And you got even, you know, multi-billion dollar people, for example, like Damon John from Shark Tank who actively promotes and says, hey, like, this is this is what you should be doing. Uh, you got people like Grant Cardone. He's worth a half a billion dollars. He's using Shopify actively to, to run his business. You can actually go to a store and check it out. But long story short, that's the best place that you should get started if you want to sell products online. Yeah. Now, when it comes to the service side, you know you got a you got a lot of flexibility. You could I would recommend you know using any of the other ones like even Shopify to sell services, but specifically for products like Shopify is hands down the best thing that's that's available in the marketplace. Okay. And so you got your platform that you need to get started. Now, then you have like what should be on the store. Now, obviously, you got your products. That should be a given. But other than your products, there's certain things that people need to see when they come to your store. They need to see a well-written about us page. And what I mean by well-written is to keep this short, I always use a phrase where it says facts tell and story sell. It's the story behind the company why people actually decide to purchase from you. So you got to have your about us page. You got to have a shipping policy. You got to have a return policy. You got to have a privacy policy. You got to have a terms of service agreement on your page. You got to have those five pages in order to, at minimum, to have content on your page. So you don't even have to have a blog. So the whole thing of, oh, you got to have a blog, blog this, blog that, you don't have to have a blog. My store does not have a blog and I'm doing just fine. And And then the last piece is like actually getting customers to your website. So getting people to your website, that's where, again, we didn't, we kind of skipped over the advertising piece, but there's... A couple of different thought processes behind which advertising platform that you should get started with. So if you're selling branded products and you're working directly with manufacturers and suppliers in your respective country, you know, I'll just use the USA because that's where I'm at. And I work with a lot of people internationally, but the U.S. is one of the prime countries. Even a lot of my international people that I work with decide to open their business up at. So if you're talking about working with companies brand that are already branded here in the USA, the best place that you're going to want to get started with is advertising on the shopping section on Google. And the traditional technical term of that is called PLAs, and that stands for product listing ads. That's going to be the best place for you to get started. Now, I'm going to give you a little cheat here to teach you how to get that set up that you're probably not going to be able to find. There's three different things that you need to have that set up. Number one, you need an AdWords account. 
Number two, you need a Google Merchant Center account. Number three, you have to have a data feed to send the data from your website over to, to your merchant center so the products can get published on your AdWords account so you can run so you can run campaigns for that. Now, if you're using Shopify, there's an app called Google Shopping and it's in a, a blue icon. If you download that, it'll automatically take all the product data off your website and send it over to your merchant center so you can advertise those products. So I just gave you some really phenomenal content right there that you're not going to be able to find in most places yeah i think i think i was just going to say that Ernest. i think the the content the shoot the the information you just gave out was amazing and it may have went over half of our listeners heads so i'm sure there'll be a a way to contact you and we'll get to that at the the end of the show but yeah that was amazing and if any listeners have any questions definitely shoot them to us and we can get those answered i i run a fully functional e-commerce store as well so i'm i'm privy to a lot of the terms that you're using but i do have a question for people Mm -hmm. who may not be in the e-commerce space or Maybe in a slightly different space. Maybe they're promoting ebooks, or maybe they're a lead gen site, or maybe even a podcast or a YouTube channel. How do you distinguish whether or not you want to start advertising on, let's say, Google PLAs or Google pro- product listing ads, which is Google AdWords, or let's say Facebook ads? Yeah, so it comes down to the type of business. So again, that's why I mentioned specifically if you're going to do branded products or physical products, then Google PLAs is going to be your best bet. But outside of that, and then that's also for products that are more expensive. So if, and you can do it with products that are less expensive too. But again, to get a really good return on investment for advertising dollars, if you're selling more expensive products, it's going to pay back really quickly. I'm opposed to if you're selling you know, products that are a lot cheaper. I always tell people, you know, the reason why I'm going to beat you is because my average sale for my core line products is $1,300 versus if you're selling cell phone cases, and, you know, that's only like a $10 product or a $20 product. So even if we both have 20% margin, I'm still going to make more money than you because I'm yeah. just selling more expensive stuff. And it's the same amount of effort that goes into both. Yeah. But if you're selling cheaper products, like let's say anything under $40, Facebook is a really good place to go. And also doing ebooks and podcasts and services, advertising on Facebook is extremely phenomenal because you can get highly targeted traffic on Facebook if you've already discovered what you're who your customer looks like and what their needs are. And you can fill their need through your short video or your advertisement that you actually decide to put up on Facebook. You can get a really good return on investment. Now, the next step past that from an advertising perspective is how much value are you giving to your customer to even turn that customer into a lead or, or somebody that's actually going to purchase. But that's a whole nother conversation. Yep. Yep. I was going to say that. Okay. Well, let's jump back in into your story, Ernest, and kind of see, see kind of where you are now, and where you're headed. So, I know that you're married or you're soon to be married. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Yeah. So when I first got started with my dropshipping store, this was September 2015. You know, I was still working full time like we talked about. I have four kids at home and I got the fiance. So, you know, when people use the excuse like I don't have any time, like I'm just like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Like, what do you mean? (laughs) Like, literally, I was like, I was completely time tapped, especially when I was striving to make my transition from full time work. Like my schedule was completely like packed out. And so if I wasn't at work, if I wasn't doing something for the kids, I was working on my business. Like that was that was pretty much it. So some people try to ask me, like, how much time did I put in? Like, I didn't count the time. I don't I truly I really don't know. Like I give people estimates just to like so they could have peace of mind. But I'm like, 
I can like relate. I don't know, bro. Like yeah. I just every like if I wasn't at work, like my laptop was open and I was yeah. doing something to keep moving forward. Like yeah. you don't count the hours, you make the hours count. Yep, yep, I love it. I love it. People don't understand that. I love it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was relentless. I was just hungry. And part of what happened too, like the fed the hunger when I first opened up my store. So shortly after I opened up my store and I was working full time, I actually wound up losing like all my vehicles I had owned at that point. And even with things going good at work, my fiance, like she was killing it in the fast food industry. She had moved up really high within the Taco Bell industry for their largest franchisee in the world. She ultimately became the number three person in the company. He's reporting directly to the COO. So she was crushing it there, but we wound up losing like all our vehicles at that point in time. And it was just like a really bad situation. And I think, you know, what life does when we have these great opportunities sometimes is that it'll put you in check and say, boom, like you're really sure that you want to do this. And so when that came, I had a decision to make because I just started this new business. I invested into a program that cost me you know, some pretty decent pocket change to kind of learn some of these industry secrets. And so I was just really just in a bad position. Like, okay, Ernest, like, what do you do? Do you turn off your business? Do you not work on your business? Do you not drive advertising? Like, do you not pay for advertising? What do you do? And the only thing I told myself was, well, you can't let what you can't do stop you from what you can do. So even though we had no vehicles, even though I couldn't get to work, she couldn't get to work. Like I found a way to make it work. I wound up bumming rides from coworkers. I wound up borrowing my mom's car, having to wake up at three, four o'clock in the morning to drop her off at the community lot, to drive back home, to drive her to work. Then I had to get to work. And then as soon as I got off from work, I had to go pick her up and drop, pick up my mom from the community lot, drop her off, come back to the house, work on the website. And that's what I did for a few weeks. And because the only thing I didn't do in the process of that was turn off my advertising for my store, I actually wound up getting a sale. It was a little over $3,000. And the net profit from that sale Gave me enough money to put the down payment on the brand new Kia Soul that I'm driving right now. Wow. Wow. Talk about perseverance. Yeah, it was it was insane. Like, I had no idea what was going to happen. It was just like, <laughs> I was straight up walking on faith. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. Okay, so this happened early, early 2015. Oh, yeah. This happened like, dude, like right after I launched my store. So like I, I launched my store first month with well, did about thirty four hundred dollars in sales. And then I was just like, you know, then literally all my vehicles just wind up going haywire. Like the oil cap came off of the Honda that I had and oil wound up spilling all over the highway. And I had my four kids in the bag. It was a crappy car anyways, because it was like the AC didn't even work. So it was hot outside at the time. So <laughs> I was like, oh, well, like lost the car. And then. I wound up buying a Toyota Camry a little bit after that. And before that, the head gasket had cracked on the uh, PT Cruiser that we were driving. So that had went down. So I had like three vehicles yeah. that all went down, like all at the same time. The Toyota, I still have no idea what happened to that because I personally like worked on it and I redid everything for the ignition system. The only thing I didn't change, I can't remember which part I didn't change. But there was one part that I didn't change, but I spent almost $1,000 on parts and I redid everything. Nice. And I was just like, and it still didn't work. And so it was it was a terrible situation. Plus, I was still living, even though things were going OK with work, I had actually transitioned from one job to another. And so I had started working at a new job. And at the moment, because I had depleted my savings with doing some other things that I had no money, like we were going check to check at that point. So you had no just, money and you had you had your full time job as a marketing director and you had your drop shipping store. Those were your two sources of income. Am I correct? Yeah. So at the time when I first started dropshipping, I transitioned from working on a sales project with Cox Cable. And so I was working as a human resources manager at the time. 
when I actually started my dropshipping business. So I was okay. a human resource manager and I was a sales trainer for a company. Okay. Okay. And kind of progress from there and what type of numbers was your store doing and, and how were you able to kind of, I guess, leave the rat race per se at the time that you left? When did you leave? Yeah. So I wound up leaving 11 months later. So it only took me seven months to replace my full-time income. Which right, so was, not, that is not normal. <laughs> I know I kind of said it like it was like, oh, you know, no, just seven months. But no, it, yeah, it took like seven months to replace my full time income. But what I did was when I did that, I was like, all right, cool. Anybody can have a good month. You know, let's let's see if we can make this a little bit more consistent. And then what wound up happening is I left four months after that. But eventually what started happening was I started making more money in a week than what the company was paying me in a month. And so wow. then I was just like, wow, this is kind of cool. Like, <laughs> you know, this thing works. So, and, so you, did your mind, like what happened, what happened with that mind shift to where you realized I'm making more money in a week and when I'm making more money in a month at work, like what, what how, how did that dynamic play out and what, what were you kind of telling yourself on what was the goal and then what changed to be the goal once you realized that this was a viable option? My goal was $10,000 a month net profit. That's what I had drilled in me. And so when I started getting closer to that, and I hadn't hit that goal while I was still working full time, like I was having some really good weeks. Like, you know, I started like I had a week where I would do like four or five thousand dollars in like a week or six thousand dollars in a week. And like, you know, things would be good. And I hadn't quite hit like the ten thousand dollar month or ten thousand dollars net profit. And so I would get to like ninety two, ninety two hundred, eighty four hundred. I was just like, oh, my gosh, like I can't get to ten thousand. But I was already making like. The cool thing was I wasn't focused on, you know, just having like a good month. Like I was focused on just that specific number. And that's just what I had drilled in my brain because I just yeah. thought that if I could do $10,000 net profit, like that's really good. And that's more than what most people make, you know, on a full time basis anyways. And so I was just like, that'd be pretty cool to have that as like a, a passive income stream and to make that a full time income. So what wound up happening was because the person I was working for, like, this lady was just absolutely terrible. She just didn't care about people, totally disrespectful, just thought she could say what she wanted to say, how she wanted to say it, and didn't care about people. And, you know, it's, it's very challenging working for somebody like that. And so I did it as long as I as I needed to and made sure that I had the consistent income. That's why I said I, wait, I, got, I started doing it. As, it only took me seven months. I waited four months later. And then, you know, I was just like, man, I got to go. And it's kind of funny because the very next month, I actually wound up hitting $10,000 in net profit. Oh, wow. wow. (laughs) The funny thing, too, is like, so most people are like, oh, man, so you had all this extra time, you're working on your business, blah, blah, blah. Well, the cool thing is with the online business, I didn't work harder. I was just doing some of the smart work. I just worked smarter. And so one of the things I couldn't do while I was working full time was take customer calls respond to customer emails. That's one of the things that I didn't do while I was still working full-time. Now, that's another thing I'm going to advise the listeners listening to this. If you're still working a full-time job, like that person is paying your paycheck, so you need to give that person the best of who you are and not cheat your time while working for them because essentially you're still, yep. you know, if we look at it, you're still time, so don't do that. It got to the point where, you know, I just, I had to make that transition, and when I did, I was able to do some of that smart work that I couldn't do when I was still working full-time and then that's what gave me the ability to be able to bump up and hit that 10000 And then the following month after that, I did $52,000 in sales, and I made a net profit of $17,552 or something. Profit. Net. Yeah, profit. Net. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. That's amazing, right?
madness. That, that, that really is. Yeah, then, I, then I went on a travel excursion after that. Like I went to Hawaii for eight days, and then I I, literally... I, I think we we were out there at the same time, man, <laughs> for that retreat. Yep, I was there. Yep. Yeah, and then <laughs> went to, we uh, when we came from Hawaii, I flew straight down to Miami, Florida, and I was in Miami for eight days, and then I left Miami and I came back home for a little bit, hung out with the kids, and then I flew down to I think. Where did I go after that? I think I went down to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I left Charlotte. And a little while after that, I went to Cleveland, Ohio. Then I left Cleveland, came back home, and then I went to Michigan. I hung out with my sister in Michigan for a little bit. For like, I think I was out there for like 10 days, and I left Michigan. I flew down to Texas, and I hung out in Texas for a little bit. And then I came back home, and then I went out to New York. And I left New York, and I went to New Jersey. Then I left New Jersey, and I went to Philly. And then, well, actually, no, I went from New York to Philly, and then I went to New Jersey, and then I had one of my buddies hit me up, so I came back to New York. <laughs> it's obvious you don't you don't know how to act. <laughs> yeah, it's I was obvious man, you don't know how to act anymore. That's, that's so when the new year came in, I actually put myself on timeout. I was like, all right, Ernest, you're going to go on timeout for a little bit. You know, you just traveled for like the last couple months. You, you know, you got it in. But now I'm actually going to be, a, I got a paid speaking gig where I have a company that's paying me to fly out to Barcelona, Spain in August to talk about dropshipping and e-commerce and things of that nature. So I got that trip. I did go back to Florida in January. So I cheated just a little bit in January. <laughs> February, I actually stayed committed. I didn't go anywhere in February. Okay. Okay. okay cool. Well, Ernest, that, that, that's an amazing story. I hope that the listeners are inspired by that. I think that, that you've definitely set the tone when it comes to transitioning from you know, full-time employment to a full-time entrepreneur. That may not be everybody's goal. I know that there are many entrepreneurs who like to couple the W-2 work with their business. I think that it provides a good balance depending on the situation that you're in. But again, I think that when there is opportunity to make that transition and when you're in such a situation, kind of how you were to where your boss was, your boss was almost, you know, practically even maybe pushing you out, you know, to the fact that you knew what you had on the horizon. So you were comfortable. You were, I guess you didn't put all your eggs in that basket per se. You had other means of, of surviving and taking care of your family. And I think that's amazing. I think that we should all strive to do that because you never know. You can't hold on to one lifeline. You know, I believe in, in different streams because you just never know what's going to happen. You can't think that a major corporation is going to be around forever. You can't think that the recession is not real. You know, you can't you can't be naive to some of these facts. And then when it happens, you know, you have your hands in your lap like, man, like I didn't think it would ever happen to me. You don't ever want to be the one, one of those people. So I definitely think that, you know, not even having the mindset to eventually leave your nine to five, but even ha just having the mindset to want to create different streams of income. I think that's very important. Yeah. And I'll tell you, too, DeRay. So like when I was working at the marketing firm where, you know, I had a few hundred people that was working for me and I was literally, you know, marketing firm I was working for, they were a pretty large company at the time. You know, one of the things I wasn't really focused on the entrepreneur aspect. I was really, truly like loving my job. I was moving up with the company. I was a sales director. I was flying all over the company. Like I had a they were paying for my gas. They were paying for my cell phone. I had a travel expense card. And like literally, like when I was flying out, like everything was all in the company's expense. It was amazing. Like I actually made money when I went out of state because they would cover all my expenses and I didn't have to pay for anything. So literally all my money was just going to the bank. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I'm living the corporate dream. And I was only like 24, 25. Yep. And yep. at the time, like I was making them a lot of money, too, as well. So, you know, it was it was a good mutual exchange. Like I'm making you a couple million. You're almost paying me six figures. Like it was it was working out pretty well. But. When you talk about like you can't have all your eggs in one basket, that company ultimately fired me 
because again, they're just one of those companies that didn't value people and they wound up firing me. And dude, you talk about like broke, like I literally, when I got that phone call, like I, I cried like a baby. Yeah. Like, I mean, like I was like, I mean, tears, not like the whole nine yards. Like I, I literally cried and like my, I was, I never forget. I, my fiance, she came outside and she was asking me what was wrong. And I was like, I just couldn't even talk. It was like, it was like that nasty cry. Like, you know, the one you like, <laughs> you know, you just yeah. didn't breathe. Like I was hurt, man. Cause I'm like, I put in so much work and I put in so much time, like traveling all over the country, like to really help them grow their, their company and corporation. Like they were flying people into the area where I was at and I was training people and they were flying back out to their parts of the country. Like that's how good I had gotten with helping them move their products and services. You're a superb employee. You're making them millions of dollars. They're flying people in to, I guess, conversate with you or meet with you or make deals with you. And so you're doing it. So I guess, you know, first off, thank you for sharing that because I know that's very personal. So I appreciate that. I know our listeners appreciate that. So so why did they fire you? If you're, you know, you're doing so good. Was there a situation? Was there a particular instance in which they, they asked you to do something that was, you know, irrational or unreasonable? How did that work out? Yeah, it, I would say there was definitely a lot of gray area things that were going on with how we treated some of our clients. And so we worked with a lot of a lot of major brands from, like I said, from Walmart to Costco to Duracell to AT&T, a lot, a lot of major companies. And, you know, it was, it was some gray area things that that were done. And, you know, it was just instead of having my back in the process, it was just like, well, you know, we'll just you know fire the person and, you know, let's just be done with it. And it was, was, it, it was, was, this, of, was this a situation where where you were asked to go somewhere the day before you needed to be there or something like that? Yeah, no. So I made tons of sacrifices for the company. I would get phone calls all the time where, hey, you know, what are you doing right now? And just like, I'm at home with the kids. And they're like, all right, well, you got to go to, you know, New York tomorrow. And I'm just like, seriously? <laughs> you know, like I'm hanging out with the kids right now. Like, no, pack your stuff. You got to go. And it was it was a lot of that that went on. And, you know, yeah, that was very irritating. But again, because I was really genuinely like, you know, I loved what we were doing and what we were accomplishing. But, yeah, it just got down to like a a gray area situation. And, you know, personally, like, you know, it ultimately really didn't matter what the reason was for the company, like letting me go, because eventually, like, again, because of the, the way the culture was, I seen it to where they let people go to hire people to pay them less money. Yep. And so and you've had to let people I just, go in that I, company as well, right? Oh yeah. I, oh yeah. I, I did it all the time. I hated doing it. And that's the one thing, like, I'm like, man, this dude has, a, has kids he has to take care of. Like, is there something we can do? Like, I don't want to have to fire him. Like I fired more people when I was working there than, you know, I think more people would probably fire in a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. Yes. <laughs> and the thing was too, like when I, because I had employees and then I had supervisors. And whenever I had to fire a supervisor, I wasn't allowed to fire them over the phone. I actually had to physically fly to the area, sit down with them and them not, not knowing what's going on and like, like have a conversation like, hey, you're fired. Or like you had to be like sneaky about it. And like you had to fly to the area, not tell them that you're there, do a bunch of meetings and interviews and <laughs> find their replacement, train their replacement wow. and then let them know they're fired. It was it was a lot in the process of firing somebody. So, yeah, it was it was a terrible situation. But I thought because I was literally like 
I mean, I thought I was like the magic man there. Like, there'd, there'd be no way they could fire me. Like, I'm doing all this for the company. I completely, like, they didn't even have, like, an onboarding process for hiring, like, senior-level managers or entry-level managers, like, just regular sales managers or anything. They had no process for that, and I developed an entire process, and the company started using 90% of my material for their new onboarding process for hiring people. And that's why they were flying a lot of people out to my area to train people because I would just use my process and people would go on and have a lot of success. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I'm like, me getting fired? Like, no way, man. That's why, <laughs> like, you know, I wasn't so, even looking at, like, the, the second stream of income because I just thought that I was just the, the golden boy and that I would just continue to keep getting raises and keep moving up the corporate ladder because, you know, if, if somebody's making you you know, multiple seven figures worth of income when it comes to doing like end of the year valuations, like who's getting a raise and who's not like, come on, like I don't have to ask for a raise. I earned it. <laughs> like, sure. you, know? you just have to be diversified when it comes to this because you just never know what's going to happen. Like you were, sounds like you were, you were a perfect employee. Like you were exactly what they needed and, and more. And, you know, just within a split second, like that, that was taken away from you. So, you know, again, I'm not I'm not opposed to the to the corporate grind or the W2 grind, but I definitely think that every single employee should also in some form or fashion be on the other side of the Robert Kiyosaki quadrant, which you talked about earlier, and they should be an investor or they should have a business because that is how you create that stability. That is how you create that balance. That is how you can, you know, at least me personally, that is how I can go to sleep at night and know that, you know, me and my family would be well accounted for. So, yeah. Yeah, um, even my mom, she works with EEOC right now and Equal Employment Opportunity Commissions. And it's just like, you know, they're struggling right now. They went on, you know, not too long ago, they had to do a government shutdown to save, save on expenses. Nobody has security at this point in time. Like, not trying to be like the big gray cloud that's like oh, following yeah. people around. No, you're right, though. <laughs> it just it is what it is, man. The best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that I subscribe to. And now I'm prescribing for you. The world's longest running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit JoeFearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. You are listening to the Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions podcast. Okay, first question is, what is your favorite Before the Millions book? Man, I, I'd have to say, man, that's a, that's a really tough one. But it really depends on, for me, like what I need at the time, because I've read a lot of good ones. And I'm getting into even more. I guess if I can make up a word, I say gooder ones. I hope they <laughs> have the original. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, for me, I would say is. If I could do two, it would be the the Rich Dad Poor Dad Guide to Investing uh, with Robert Kiyosaki because that right there, like literally, like set me on fire. It like literally set my soul on fire to the point where I was angry, I was excited, I was frustrated with so many different emotions going on. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and then the other would be Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which I'm pretty sure like a lot of people have heard of. That book is like a legacy. But that one, when you talk about like the right mindset, thought process, like what it takes to really put yourself in a position to get to the millions, you know, before the millions, it has to be the mindset. 
So. Yeah, I like that. I like that. That might have to be our, our nugget at the beginning of the show. Okay. Yeah, I've read the latter. I've read Think and Grow Rich. I think it's an amazing book. The former, The Guide to Investing, I haven't read that one. I read the original Rich Dad Poor Dad, and I also read The Cashflow Quadrant. But I, I still need to read The Guide to Investing, so thanks for that recommendation. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? So, you know, it is Sunday today that we're, that we're doing this call, so I'm going to get a little spiritual for our, for our listeners. Yes. <laughs> You know, in the Bible, it talks about how you reap what you sow. So, you know, just taking that spiritual principle and applying it to, you know, the outer man being, you know, what we do for labor, I would say in really sacrificing time, you know, when you really invest into, you know, like I talked about the examples of, you know, different companies that I work for, investing the time into my business. Like literally at this point in time, like I never, I never really thought that I would be able to be in a position I'm at right now where I really have control of my time, where I wake up when I feel like it. Like, you know, the other day I didn't, I was having like a really bad headache and I stayed in the bed till one o'clock PM, you know, just cause I felt like, it. and you know, there are some days where I lay in the bed a little longer than I want to. And because I have an online business, I can manage it from my cell phone, which I typically do anyways. I manage 90% of my business from my cell phone. And literally to know that to make money for the day, I don't have to get out of the bed. I don't have to leave my house. I don't even have to leave the bedroom. So making that investment into time, because I invested into time, I'm now reaping my time back. This is not a question of a part of our final four, but how does it feel making money while you're making money? So getting that Shopify notification while you're at work, I know it happens often or while you were at work because you're no longer employed. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great when you wake up and you see thousands of dollars like processed, you know, in your account before you wake up. It's a beautiful thing. I know when I was out in Michigan with my sister, for some reason, like I was making a ton of money out there, like literally like customers <laughs> like on my phone. Like it seemed like every day I was waking up on average between like 3000 to $6,000 in sales. I was just like, man, I need to, I need to come out to Michigan or something. I don't know if it's my IP address or what. <laughs> yep, yep. Touch on really quick. I know, I think we, we might've talked about it just briefly in Hawaii, but you were hospitalized at one point. And I think that from that situation, I think that that may have been the shortest stint in which you've made like such a, a large amount of money. Am I warm? Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I had like, um, I think I had my best week while I was in the hospital. So I wound up having some health challenges where I wound up catching like a bunch of viruses. So I had like eight strands of what's called the Kosaki virus. I had Kosaki A and Kosaki D. I wound up getting rhabdomyolysis and I wound up having pericarditis. I know, sounds like a bunch of... Any of that. Sounds like... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so it was crazy. Were you still working full time? Yeah, no, by that time, I'd actually wound up leaving my job already. So, and thank God I did because there would have been no way, like, think about it. Like, if you imagine, like, your employer right now, like, I don't care what position that you're in. In most cases, like, if you have, even if it's a medical emergency and they they intently rely on your position to be able to keep the company moving forward and you can't fill that position, you know, after a a two-week period, like, you're potentially lost that position and you might have to get have another position but in most cases like most companies aren't going to hold that position for you and so like i'm I, like i know i would have probably lost lost my job that i was going to be working for but it was it was so awesome because i built the business before i had it so when i did need it it was there and so while i was in the hospital i was 
literally just, you know, I was going through all the different procedures. I had freaking two IVs shoved in both arms and just kind of, they were like rinsing my system, giving me all this different medication. I'm doing all these different tests. But in the meantime, you know, cell phone's still going off. I'm still processing orders. <laughs> still, making <money>. <laughs> <laughs> still making money, so, huh? <laughs> yeah. No, money money, money doesn't here. sleep. No. <laughs> Gordon Gecko. <Money's> sleeping, uh, <laughs> okay. You know, the, the electricity man still wants to get paid. <laughs> yep, yep, definitely. Okay. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? So I'll definitely say like essential to me was my fiance, you know, because she's been holding down with the kids and, you know, making sure that they have everything that they need. You know, obviously when I talk about the whole time aspect, I'm able to spend way more time with them now than I ever did. Like even like the, through the four years that, you know, we've had our four boys. So she was very essential to, you know, just making sure that, you know, the home front was was taken care of and things of that nature. And then my mom, man, like my mom, she set such a solid foundation when it comes to like work ethic that is just like superb. You know, she she always just did whatever she had to do to keep the family afloat and keep moving forward and never complained about it. Never talked about how stressful it was, never complained about it was just always on the grind. Like she'd go to bed at one o'clock in the morning and still get up at four o'clock in the morning, go to work, work a 10 hour shift. Where we live at in Virginia, it's, you know, it can take anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours to get to work. So she has to wake up that early because we have the commute to go up to DC. And then she works all day, gets off work at like four o'clock, has to come back home, doesn't get back home until about six, six thirty, sometimes seven, seven thirty, depending on how the traffic is, would go do all the grocery shopping, take care of everything, then come home, cook for us, and then do it all over. And she just did that year after year after year after year after year. It was just like, you know, one of those things where you just see it and it's just like, you know, to model that, that I think that's like, you know, one of the big things for me, I was able to really like pick up on that. And I just kind of modeled that when it came to like traditional work or how I approach business. So, you know, mom was definitely, and she always, even when I was doing stupid stuff and just not acting right, like being silly in school, you know, she obviously, you know, she disciplined me like she should have, but at the same time, she always had my back at the end of the day. Mom just was always there. She was like the one consistent thing that I knew I could always count on with her and my aunt, my aunt D too as well. And another person that was essential is uh, I got a buddy of mine who was absolutely phenomenal. His name is Leo. And we talk about like having a good paying job. So he has a good paying job. He works in New York. You know, he, we were just talking the other day. He's actually on a, on like a, a public list where he's like in the top 50 highest paid employees for the company that he works works for makes a solid, solid, solid income. But, you know, he has a multi-million dollar business that he's running outside of his full-time job. Yeah. And he's making the type of income full-time that he puts him in the top 2% of America. Yeah, and has a multi-million dollar business that he's running part-time. So, And he also invests in real estate too. So he owns some property, has a multi-million dollar business that he's running. It's an online business too, by the way. It's an online drop business. And, you know, he has a ridiculously phenomenal job that pays him extremely well. So it's just like one of those things where he has that foundation and his wife has a master's degree too. And she's, she's making a really good income full time, but they have a kid too. So it's like, they got, they literally like, they're like, you know, one of the people that, you know, the couples that I kind of look up to where it's just like the people living the American dream, like is my best friend, Leo. And me and him, we talk like literally like every single day. 
and he's been like essential to my success because you know just being able to have somebody to bounce ideas off of and to conversate with especially when it's someone that's going in the same direction as you and then doing it extremely well you know it's just priceless yep yep i definitely agree with that when, when it comes to having that that solid group of people or maybe just one or two people that are going that in that same direction and you're able to bounce ideas off of man it, it can really do wonders in your business so so yeah i i agree with that wholeheartedly why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions even though we have every intention on getting to the millions man it goes back to a quote i say if the mind ain't right the grind ain't right Love it. Love it. That's a perfect way to close. If the mind ain't right, the grind ain't right. Okay, Ernest. Well, look, this has been amazing. You have provided us with the wealth of knowledge. In summation, I hope that the listeners have gained some insights on Ernest's life and how he went from, you know, a corporate hustler to now an online mogul. And hopefully he'll continue to grow from there and we'll be able to kind of watch along the way and maybe document his progress. So, Ernest, thank you so much for being on the show and for being an inspiration to others. If some of the listeners are interested in kind of learning more about you or what you do or how to even get into, into drop shipping or an online business, how can they reach out to you or how can they kind of connect? Yep. So you can actually go to my website, which is ErnestEpps.com. So it's E-A-R. N-E-S-T-E-P-P-S dot com. So you can go to my website. I got a ton of knowledge and information I have on there. And also feel free to connect with me on social media. So it's Ernest Epps, E-A-R-N-E-S-T-E-P-P-S. And that's my name on every single platform. So Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, WhatsApp, Snapchat, Meerkat, all that. <laughs> all that. All that. Okay. That's great. And you're, you're, you're also a coach, right? I don't think we mentioned that on the show, but you, you participate in some coaching and you help people kind of get their stores up and running, right? Yeah, I offer coaching services on my website. So you can definitely go on there, check some things out and tons of different testimonials from people that I work with over 50 plus testimonials of people that I've been able to help create success with on literally every facet running an online store specifically with dropshipping from how to find products to sell online to how to contact suppliers, how to build a website, how to upload products, how to do advertising, how to get sales. Yep. Ernest, we might we might have to have an offline talk in a little bit because I had a quarter in which my store did about 8K in sales and I was super ecstatic and I spent about $300 in AdWords. In the next quarter, of course, naturally, I decided to up my AdWords to $600 and think, oh, I'll, I'll get 16K in sales. And the next quarter, unfortunately, I think I got about $300 in sales. So yeah, I definitely have to do some work under the boot and, and kind of put some focus back on the store. But yeah, we'll, we'll have an offline conversation about that. So yeah, and if anybody's interested, I think it's super valuable to kind of have somebody who who's able to take a, a different perspective on, on your store, on your site, and you know just kind of give you some pointers and, and tell you some of the, I guess, success habits that they have and why, you know, especially Ernest, why you're converting so well, because I think your your conversions are, are phenomenal. You barely spend anything in ad spending and you're making over, you know, 10K in profit a month. So I think there's a lot to, to learn from there. So, yeah, Ernest, again, thanks for being on the show. I hope to see you around soon. Wow. It's that time of the show. And I know, I know, I know you're not ready for it to be over. I'm not ready for it to be over. I have fun. And. If it was up to me, which I think it is, but if it was up to me, I'd have a two-hour show. We have to respect people's time. I hope you got a lot of value from that show. I know I'm motivated. I'm getting on the computer 
ASAP and I'm getting to work. I need to optimize, optimize, optimize. And if you're at that stage, you need to optimize. But if you're not, you need to get started. Starting is literally the hardest part, literally the hardest part. And this past week, I've talked to so many, so many people and we've shared our stories. And, you know, a lot of these people are are people really close to me and they listen to the podcast and they feel so inspired and they call me and we're like, hey, DeRay, this is what I'm thinking. And, And we just go back and forth and we brainstorm and I help them achieve some certain goal and and they get so much value, which in turn feeds my soul. And I'm that much more motivated to go help even more people. And it's just a a great growing experience. And I've had quite a few of those conversations this week. So what I've heard from most of these conversations is that people are ready to take action. They just haven't done it yet. And whether it's for one reason or another, they haven't quite pulled that trigger. So I'm here to tell you now, it doesn't matter how bad it is, how much you're scared, just get started. It can be the worst idea ever. If you get started, I guarantee you that you'll find success in it. And that sounds like an outlandish statement, but I'm so serious because if if, if you don't find success in it, that means you gave up. And that's the only way you won't find success in what you're doing. Now, success could mean you started and you're pivoting to something else because of your experiences in that specific realm. But because you started, you're able to pivot. But if you never get started because you're scared, then that leaves room for complacency. That leaves room for discouragement. That leaves room for so many things that, quite frankly, are ways to paralyze you. So get started, whatever it is. This week was beautiful, guys. I think that our listeners are so awesome. Or you guys, you guys are so awesome. You guys are literally showing so much love when it comes to ratings and reviews. I love it. And let me just give a quick shout out to everybody who left a five-star review in the past week. We have Kool-Aid 03, De Niro, Lala Jenkins, Iabo, Samuel Fanta, Bearded Rasta, Jay Connor, Jay Eggbele, Nosa94, Best Ever Show, Mark Jones 8077, Max Jones, Byron Phillips, I might mess this one up. Ike Childress, 7893. She's the Closer. Jasmine Crutch, HJO009. C Mensa, Wando, previous Before the Millions guest on episode four, Mr. Brent Sutherland. So if you want to listen to that episode, it's one of our most downloaded. Go check it out at beforethemillions.com slash episode four. And last but not least, Trey Lynn. I want to thank all you guys for your five-star reviews. You are showing iTunes that we are here and we are here to stay. So thank you so much. Until next time, go fail. Go fail big. Fail hard. Fail fast. Some of you know what I mean. The ones that don't want you to realize what I mean, you'll start failing as much as you can. (laughs) So see you guys next week. The moisturize. The difference is clear. Clear eyes.